Yeah, I don't mind. Um, uh, we're in a series, and it goes from Genesis to Revelation, 16 weeks. That's what we're doing. Um, we're using this book, the whole story of the Bible, as our guide. Um, it's, it's a book about the Bible, so we're still using the Bible. I know some of you wonder that. Um, and we're using this as, as merely our tour guide to go from Genesis to Revelation. And um, what we're going to see today is that man has been banished from the kingdom and that because of sin... We no longer worship God, but we still worship. We just worship idols now. We worship ourselves. We worship creation, not necessarily picking on football. I am wearing a Seahawk jersey, um, and I will not wash it until after we win the Super Bowl. <laughs> so hopefully they win this year. Um, so this is where we've been in the story. This is week three. Therefore, if you're following along, you would have read chapter three. Now, just so you know, in here, in our, in our time, we're not going to go through the book. The book is, is for you to be even more prepared here. We'll touch on a lot of things that are in the book and in each chapter, uh, but we will not necessarily say, and if you turn to page 66 in the book, um, that's not what we're going to do. But this is where we are so far in the story. Uh, we've seen that God is a cosmic sovereign king. God has created everything, and God has made man in his image to worship him. So far, so good. Okay, that's, that's where we are. But what does every story have? It's essential for a story. A villain, true. So there's conflict. There is conflict in every story. In fact, conflict is why we have a story. It informs us of the purpose of the story. In fact, if you just think about it, we probably wouldn't have a Bible if man had never sinned. We probably wouldn't really have this Bible. I mean, we'd, already, we'd always been with God. Um, so let's think about this. The movie Braveheart, good classic movie. William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, um, is a Scottish peasant. But when his wife is killed by an English lord, he leads a revolution eventually that will free all of Scotland from English control. In the movie The Matrix, we, have, um, we see that machines are ruling the world, that they have oppressed humanity, and humans exist in some type of simulated reality. And so we have the guy Neo, played by, of course, the amazing Keanu Reeves. Um, hint sarcasm there, that's okay. And through a series of events, he's going to lead a revolution against the machines that will eventually free humanity. All stories have conflict. And... Um, the Bible is no different. In fact, it's the conflict of all conflicts. It's the conflict that explains all other conflicts. Um, and what we're going to read about today in Genesis 3 is where we're going to see all problems originate. Genesis 3 is why it's hard to get up on Mondays. Genesis 3 is why your dog does not obey you and your cats ignore you. Genesis 3 is why marriages break and parenting is hard. Genesis 3 explains terrorist attacks and all wars. Genesis 3 informs us of why the world is what it is today. This is where we're at in the story. So everything's been going good. Man is imaging the glory of God. It's beautiful. And now a problem has come in. And what we're going to see is that because of sin, man disobeys the word of God and thus no longer worships God. But again, he continues to worship, just not God. And that's what we're going to look at today. And so one thing we do here is we stand when we read the Bible. And so I'm going to ask that you stand. And we're going to read all of Genesis 3. So it's 24 verses, it's a little long. If you need to take a break, that's okay. If you need to do intervals, stand, sit, stand, sit, that's okay. Um, 
however you would like to, to do that. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and, that, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, God, we are at a, a very important part in this story. God, we're looking at sin, sin coming into the world, at the reason we find it hard to worship you, at the reason sometimes we don't want to worship you, the reason why we're born in rebellion against you. God, help us to understand your word today. Help us to understand the necessity of faith. Help us to understand the gift of your son, Jesus. Help us to understand the depravity of sin that we are in. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself. We thank you that you love to reveal yourself and that you have done so in your word that we would know you and that we would love you and that we would understand who you are, what you have done, 
who we are and what we are to do. So, Father, I ask as we look at your word today, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom that we would know you so that, God, we would worship you the way you have created us to be. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Uh, so what we're going to do, we're going to go through, I think it's, um, it's four sections, the attack, the fall, the, the judgment, um, and then the hope that we have. I think it's four. Um, and if I forget to do questions at the end, please remind me. Uh, we do have, you can text your questions to this number, and uh, whatever question you have, we will attempt to answer. And so if I try to walk off the stage like I did last week and not answer your questions, please somebody say, hey, um, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, so, here we go. The attack. Verse 1, we see Satan is described as a snake who has entered into the kingdom. Remember, the Garden of Eden is the kingdom of God. It's where God's um, blessing and presence is experienced by his people. So this is his kingdom, and a snake has come in. Uh, is, this, is this metaphorical language that the snake is Satan? Is he really coming in the form of a serpent? Is he not? Um, we don't no, 100%. But I would say this. There's not really any other metaphors in our text. So I would just let the text speak for itself and say, yes, there is a snake who has come in. And maybe, maybe, maybe in the beginning, that wasn't so weird for an animal to talk. Maybe. Maybe. But we're not really given any other reason to doubt that. So, so we have that. And he attacks. And his attack is really twofold. Number one, Satan attacks the word of God. Notice he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of, the tree in, of any tree in the garden? Now notice how he cleverly enlarges the command of God to include every tree rather than the one tree. That's what Satan loves to do. And now, just so you know, Satan is not sin. Sin is not Satan. Satan embodies all that sin is. Okay? So if we say this is how Satan loves to work. That's also the nature of sin. Okay, so I just throwing that out there. Some of you appreciate that. Um, so Satan has cleverly enlarged God's command to include every tree rather than just the knowledge of good and evil, that tree. Now that's what sin always does. It always distorts the word of God. It always wants us to think that God's word is a burden, which is why when we passed out those Bible reading plans, some of you were like, ah. I don't know about Bible reading plans. I really like my own plan. And if we were to press you what your plan is, you would say, well, I'm kind of led by the Spirit. And we'd say, well, what does that look like? And you'd say, well, I don't really read a whole lot. So one of the reasons we find it hard to set time aside, one of the reasons we have a hard time prioritizing the Word of God, sin doesn't want us to prioritize the Word of God. And so we have Eve. She replies. And then in verse 4, Satan responds and says, you will not surely die. So what we have here is we have this creature. He's coming to the kingdom of God. He's not interested in a healthy conversation. He is attacking. He's defiantly opposing the word of God. He's saying what God has said is not true. So we have the questioning of the authority of God. Now remember, we saw this last week. Um, the means in which we worship God is through his word. 
It's by our obedience to the word of God that we worship God. So if Satan attacks the word of God, he's attacking the very means in which we obey and worship God. This is no little attack. This is a kingdom attack here. This is what John Calvin, the great reformer, said. He says, once we hold the God's, wor- God's word in contempt, we will shake, all, shake off all reverence for him. So he's, sa- he's saying, once we question this, once we don't need this, we're saying we don't need God. And the purpose that God has given us the reason God has given us his book is not so it would just sit on our coffee tables, not so it would gather dust on our nightstands, but he's given us the book that we would know him, and that we would know how to worship him, and how we would live for him. God's word is really our worship guide. And if you've come here for kind of any length of time, you would know that here at Timberline, we love to talk about the Bible. We give out Bibles. In fact, I gave out two today. We gave out two the previous two weeks. Um, We give out Bible reading plans. We give out books about the Bible. This is my last one, by the way. So if you don't have one, this one could be yours. Um, So again, last book that I have. Um, We can always order more if we need to. But we love to give out books about the Bible. We love to give out the Bible. We love to give out Bible reading plans. If you don't have a Bible, take the red Bible in front of you home today. The reason we do that is because we believe the Word of God is so incredibly precious. It's the way God reveals himself. It's the way God says, look, I've made you. This is how you can worship me. Follow this worship guide. The way we view the word of God is the way we view God. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. So let me just ask you, how do you view the word of God? How do you view the word? How do you use the word of God? Just, just think about that. How, how, do, how do you use it? How does the word of God take place in your life? How is it prioritized? Do you take time each day to read it, or do you find that you're making excuses on why you have avoided it? God's word is like this tool that the more we use it, um, the more uses we have for it, in a sense. It's like that tool that the more we use, it's like, oh, wow, this is an amazing tool. I can use it for this, for that, for this. Well, if you're a woodworker, a router is like that. You use a router for one thing, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I can use a router for a, a hundred things in woodworking. And God's word has, has really infinite types of uses for it as we come to worship God. He gives it to us that we would use it, and the more we use it, the more beautiful it becomes, the more helpful it becomes, the more we love the word of God. It's through God's word we experience his grace. It's through God's word we experience his mercy. It's through God's word we um, see the hope that we have. It's through God's word we, we receive rebuke when we do something wrong or contrary to the word of God. It's through God's word we understand God. We understand this world. We understand who we are. The word of God has been given to us as a gift that we'd worship God. So the first attack is against the word of God. Secondly, Satan attacks the character of God. In verse 5, Satan says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what Satan is saying is, God is holding out on you. He's not actually as good as you think he is. He's questioning the goodness of God here. He's saying, God's actually given you this tree and told you not to eat of it, not because he's a good God, but because he's an evil God. He's trying to oppress you. 
He's trying to keep you down. He doesn't want you to reach your full potential. He doesn't want you to become what you ought to be. You don't need to submit to God because you can be God. Take the fruit. So when we talk about the knowledge of good and evil, what does this tree mean? Does Adam and Eve know what, what right and wrong is at this point? Yes, of course they do. Because God said, don't eat from the tree. The right thing to do is don't eat from the tree. The wrong thing to do is eat from the tree. They know right from wrong. They're not dumb. They know obeying God is the means in which they worship God. Disobeying God would be high treason. They know right and wrong. So when we look about the tree of knowledge and good and evil, we're not talking about knowing. We're talking about deciding what is wrong. One author said this, their sin is that of law making, not, law, not just law breaking. So you get to decide what's right and wrong. Don't let God tell you. You can become God. Satan says you do not need to worship God as king because you can be king. Satan is attacking the very identity of which we are. We have been created to image God. And Satan says, well, hold on here. You're a pretty good image yourself. You don't need to reflect someone else's glory. Why don't you highlight your own glory? Don't reflect God's glory. Reflect your glory. Don't submit to God as king when you can be king. Now, I want you to think about it. Has Satan's attack really changed? Attacks the word of God, and he attacks what it is to, to know God. He attacks the character of God, and when he does that, we can begin thinking that, oh, wow, we, we should be king. We should be God. Think about the American dream. What's the American dream? You eat, or you eat, or you eat. Um, but you work, you make your money, you buy your toys, but you do it so that when you get to the end, you can retire and you can do what? Whatever you want. Whatever makes you happy. In fact, buy all the toys you want because you deserve your toys. You've earned them, you should have them, enjoy them. Life is about you. So go ahead. Buy whatever you want. Do whatever you want. In the book, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, he uses this illustration um, of a retired couple who says that they're a Christian. And they end up going, retiring to Florida, and at the end of their years, all they do is collect seashells. And he says, now think about this. This couple who says that they're Christian, who says that they're image bearers of God, when God returns, what are they going to do? Hold up seashells and say, God, are you happy? They've lived for their glory, not the glory of God. That's the American dream. Satan's attack has not really changed at all. The very nature of sin is that we would ignore God, reject God, rebel against God because we are God. Again, don't forget, when we sin or because of sin, we don't cease to worship. We just change the object in whom we worship. We no longer worship God, we worship ourselves. Romans 1 is huge in talking about we no longer worship the creator, we worship creation. Ultimately, we worship ourselves. The storyline of the world is I am king. Everything centers around me. Remember, that, like the first week, I think, when we started the series, we talked about how we get upset in traffic. Remember that? Why do we get so upset in traffic? Because no one seems to recognize that I need to get where I need to be. Everyone's trying to go where they want to go, and they don't realize how important I am. You know when the cops come down and everyone clears the way because their lights are on? People should do that when I drive. <laughs> Honestly, I was behind this person going up Carpenter Friday. 25 miles an hour. 
We passed the speed limit sign. I'm like, it's right there. It says 35. It's right there. We passed another one. I'm like, it's right there. God was working on patience with me. He chooses to use to do that quite a bit. Maybe he does that with you too. The nature, the storyline of the world. Life is about me. Story of the Bible. Life is about God. So with this attack, there's a new story being, being um, uh, communicated and introduced. Let's look at the fall. Zero in on verse 6 particularly. I want to read it slowly. I think it's up on the screen. Um, and so here's the question. Why did Eve take the fruit? I want you to think about this. Why did Eve take the fruit? There's a few words that are maybe bolded up there to help. When the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So why did Eve take the fruit? Did Satan force her to take the fruit? Was this a hostage situation? If you don't take the fruit, I'm going to kill Adam. I'll kill him. I will. I have him strung up back here on this other tree. If you don't take the fruit, this is what's going to happen. No, we know that's not the case. Hey, go back to the previous slide, please. There we are. And that was, oh, I don't have it all the way up there. Um, sorry, that's my slide. I didn't put the whole verse up there. She took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. So what's he doing? He's with her. He's not in a hostage situation. Should Adam have been watching Eve right now? This is what Adam should be doing. Now think about this. What is the command God has given man in chapter 1? Fill the earth, multiply, and what? Subdue it. Why? Or how does he do that? He's been given dominion, rule and power over every creature. So the purpose of man, glorify God. Creature comes in to the kingdom saying, don't glorify God. What is the role of the man at this moment who images God, meaning his desires are to be God's desires. He's been given dominion over everything. What does this man, or what should this man do? Kill the snake. Kill the snake. You have someone committing high treason right here. Your desires are the same as God's desires because you've been made in his image. God desires that he would be glorified. We desire that God would be glorified. Snake, snake, ah, snake, Satan says, you should be glorified. Man should say, no, crush the snake, right? So we see Adam's not really innocent here. In fact, we could really say, you know, maybe, maybe some sin is, we see why they take the fruit here. Let me say this. A Adam is passive here. By being passive, Adam has abdicated his role. Um, if we're not intentionally leading our families to Christ, intentionally showing our families Christ, intentionally leading our families to know the word of God. Man, you're abdicating your role. You're abdicating your role. And, and look right here, it doesn't mean you're in something neutral. Bad things happen when we abdicate our role. We are not in some neutral position if we're not actively following the word of God. You're not in some neutral position where it's like, oh, he, he's okay. He's not really doing right or wrong. No, you're doing wrong. 
Adam is passive at this moment as an attack is being committed. He should kill the snake. Man, we need to lead our families. You need to lead your wives, your kids. We cannot abdicate our role by being passive. So let's get back to Eve. Why did she take the fruit? Because she wants to. It looks good. Look at the words. It's good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. The tree was to be desired. Eve took the fruit because she wanted it. It looks good. She desired the fruit. Sin, we sin always, always out of a pursuit of pleasure. You always sin out of a pursuit of pleasure. No one sins out of duty. You don't wake up today, I gotta go lie today. If I got to, I, gotta, I, just, I just have to. That's my duty. Check that off the list. Murder someone, check that off the list. Okay, steal, check that off. No, we don't, we don't do that out of a duty. This is, just, this is just the work list I got today. We sin out of pleasure. Why do we lie? Because we want to get something that we don't have. We want to be viewed in a different way. We want to escape some kind of punishment. There's some type of pleasure that's promised. That's why we lie. Why do we commit adultery? We deserve better sex. We deserve to be treated better. We deserve something that we're not getting. Why do we cheat on our taxes? Because it's my money and I deserve it. They don't deserve it. I'm going to keep it. Everything we do is a pursuit of pleasure. We were created... That God's pleasure would be our pleasure. That's what it is to, to be imaging God. His desires are our desires. His pleasure is where our greatest pleasure is found. Sin says, no, your desire should be the highest pursuit of pleasure. That's what sin says. Your desire should be the pursuit of pleasure because when our desire is the highest pursuit, we're no longer reflecting God's image. We're reflecting our image. And we're saying, I should be glorified. We sin because it's pleasurable. Just, just think about the next time you fight, the next time you, you sin. Get to the root of it. Why? What pleasure did I do there? Why do we not read the Bibles? Ah, I want to watch TV instead. Why are we not at church? Well, the Seagulls game is on. Uh, serious. Or go ahead and share it. I don't care. Uh, so I, I, met, I saw another pastor this last week, admittedly, part-time, as if that's an excuse. Um, and so I talked to him, and he says, well, we're having a guest speaker at our church today. today, And it's a missions guy. It's the head of their missions part for their denomination. Well, I said, oh, that's really cool. Um, so this guy represents really a lot of what your church is going to do. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be there. You're the worship, or you're the you're, you're one of the pastors at the church, right? Yeah, the Seahawks game is on. I'm not going to be there. So let me get this straight. You have a guy saying he's going to come there and tell you that our mission is to go make disciples, and he's going to tell you how the denomination is doing that in other parts of the world, and you're going to say, "No, I don't want to be a part of that because I want to go watch football. I want to go watch a game." Now I, I love football. I, I I think it's fine. I wear a Seahawks jersey. I'll go watch the watch the game today. Have it DVR'd. Whatever. Football means nothing apart from God. Nothing. And when we start prioritizing that over God, there's serious problems. That's what we see in Genesis 3. Now again, you don't have to go back to everyone who's not here today and say, ah, Genesis 3 explains why you weren't here. I mean, it does. It does. We sin because of pleasure. 
We want our pleasure to be the number one pleasure. We reject God's words because we doubt. The reason it seems pleasurable is because we have rejected God's word. The reason we reject God's word is because we doubt the goodness of God. The reason we doubt the goodness of God is because we want to be king. I don't need to listen to someone else's authoritative word when my word is authoritative. So before we move on, I just want to make sure we, we're clear. When we question the word of God, we question God. Yep. Question the word of God is to question God. When we doubt the word of God, we're doubting God. When we neglect the word of God, we're neglecting God. This is why Satan went after the word of God so strongly. This is why he attacks his character. Because when we don't treasure God's word, we won't treasure God. We can't worship God apart from the worship guide. Okay? Worship guide. Given so we worship God. And we have Christians saying, I don't really need that. Really? Where do you get that? From their authoritative word. Because they think they're king. If Satan can get us to forget about the word of God, to neglect the word of God, to doubt the word of God, to be angry because God's word doesn't answer all of our questions, then he knows we won't worship God. So we've seen man and woman have listened to the snake and they've chosen to sin. And by doing so, they've rejected God as king. They've ceased to worship God as king. And so now they think they are king and therefore they should worship themselves. So let's look at what happens. Now we're into judgment. So how does the cosmic sovereign king respond when his image bearers, the ones whom he's given to populate the earth and represent him and all of creation, how does he respond when they've committed high treason? Does he come tearing through the garden? Throwing trees, throwing rocks. You know, I think if you've seen the latest Avengers movie, we're huge Avenger people. Um, my family some like hero complex. I don't know where they get it. It's probably from my wife. <laughs> You're laughing in agreement, I see. Um, uh, so like, there's, the movie begins with like the Hulk, and he's like running through this like snow forest. If you've seen the movie, you know. Like he's just breaking through trees and everything. Let's kind of get the image. Is this how God comes in the garden? Like, oh, what have you done? And all green and mad. He asks questions. Just, he walks in, and he asks questions. Now, seriously, to those people who think the God of the Old Testament is some angry, wrathful, vengeful God, you just take him to Genesis 3. He enters the garden totally peacefully, and he says, where are you? I mean, just think about how God, where are you? I mean, it's not, where are you? He's looking for those who are supposed to bear his image. The ones who are supposed to bear his image are hiding from the image. And so he says, why are you hiding? And they say, we're naked. He knows why. He knows what they're doing. He knows what tree they're behind. God's not seriously going, seriously, where are they? He's, he's not, this isn't Marco Polo. So he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? I mean, there's nothing in this context of saying, have you eaten? I mean, it's just, have you eaten? 
Just asking a question here. High treason has been committed. We, we don't just have a king. We don't just have a, a king over some small geographical area or let's say king of a continent. We have the king of the universe. High treason has been committed against him. And he's just acting peacefully and mercifully, walking into the garden. And what does Adam and Eve do? Well, Adam's like, well, the woman you gave me. So notice he's blaming two people here. The woman you gave me. So it's the woman's fault and you gave her to me. So it's really you. Of course, Eve's like, dude, that snake, it was talking. What was I supposed to do? So one college professor called this BTS, Blame Transference Syndrome. So you can take this and you can use it. No one wants to take fault for what they've done, so they blame everyone. Do you ever wonder why your kids um, uh, display BTS? Well, I don't know why my brother's crying. I mean, he just ran headfirst into my fist. <laughs> that was weird. I didn't do anything. I was just standing here. That's seriously what I get at my house. And my, my wonderful uh, sister-in-law is here with her two kids, so I'm going to hear a whole lot more stuff this week. I mean, the blame transference syndrome is going to be running rampant through my house. Look, I'm already blaming why there's going to be chaos in this week. It's because of them. <laughs> Look at what you did. You came to my house. She's never coming back. Um, it's never our fault. And, I mean, think about it. We blame all the time. And why is it not our fault? Because in my kingdom, I'm never the one to blame. I'm never the one to blame. It's my kingdom. Obviously, it's not my fault. I'm the king. You sinned. I mean, notice, notice when you apologize, and please stop apologizing. Ask forgiveness, okay? Seek forgiveness. This is what an apology sounds like. I'm really sorry I'm late for work. However, there was a lot of traffic today. However, my kids were, were, were you know, being crazy or whatever. So what have I done? I'm not really sorry. I've given you these reasons on why I'm late, and they are to excuse me from being late because it's not really my fault, that's so often what we do in apology. Oh, you know, I'm really sorry that I yelled back, but if you hadn't started yelling at me, I wouldn't have gotten so angry that I would have yelled back at you. So is that an apology? No, you've simply, well, it is an apology. Apology is to make a defense. You've simply defended your position. And why can you do that? Because you're king. So it's not your fault. Stop yelling at me if you don't want me to yell back. Surely God's word doesn't expect me to turn the other cheek if you yell at me. In our kingdom, it's never our fault because we're king. And so we are experts at blame transference syndrome. Sin always shines a favorable light on me. Always. It's not my fault. So what happens? Well, the serpent's cursed. The woman's cursed, man is cursed, all creation is cursed. All that was to be a blessing to man has now been cursed. Do you see that? Everything that was to be a blessing is now cursed. Childbearing is even more painful. So just remember, it was always painful. It's just now more painful. 
Work is hard. Relationships are hard. Verse 16, we read the woman now has these wicked desires for her husband. What does the husband want to do? I'm going to rule and dominate you. The creation God has given man to have dominion over now resists man. Remember Genesis 1? You have dominion over everything. Subdue. And now creation's like, bring it on. Let's see what you got. I don't really want to subdue. It's because of this chapter that we can explain every evil in the world. All earthquakes, tsunamis, shark attacks, and animals that don't obey find it root in Genesis 3. Creation has now been cursed. Relationships, terrorists, murders, rapists, everything finds its roots here in Genesis 3. This, week is, this weekend is Martin Luther King weekend, right? Most of you military know that. That's why you have a four-day weekend. It's a day for us to remember King's contribution in the civil rights movement against racism. You want to know where racism comes from? Genesis 3. Genesis 3. We are now kings. I get to decide who's worthy and who's not worthy. And if you don't look like me, guess what? You're inferior to me. You see where racism comes from? Right here. And, and, and don't be deceived just because we're celebrating Martin Luther King and, and what he has done in the civil rights movement. Let's not think that racism is over. This last year has given us ample evidence that racism is still running rampant in the United States. And guess what? Racism is never going to end until Jesus Christ returns. But guess what? The church is to be a picture of what it looks like to be in heaven with God. That's why in Revelation 7, we're told that people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, they're gathered together as one, worshiping God. So while the world will always display racism, where is racism never to be displayed? In the church. Because guess what? In the church, we're all about God's kingdom. In the church, we're all about his glory. And we realize we've all been made, whether we're whatever color... For his glory. And that the very colors that we are only give more reason to glorify the one who can unite all cultures in him. So we're here in Martin Luther King Day. Don't think that racism is gone, but let us remember that in Christ, racism has been abolished. Because in Christ, we become one man. Christian, believer, worshiper of God. What we see in verse, um, and the reason we want our own kingdom is because we've been banished from his kingdom. We're not in God's kingdom, therefore we now have to establish our own kingdom. This is what we read, verse 24. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim, a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So what we have is that God is our cosmic, holy, sovereign king. He has no impurity in him, and he allows no impurity to be in his presence. Therefore, he says, you no longer worship me. You are no longer in my kingdom. Remember, the kingdom of God is where God's rule, his blessing, his presence is experienced. So rather than experience the blessings of God, now man experiences the judgments of God. But again, this doesn't stop us from being worshipers, does it? 
we still worship, just not God. And we still are kingdom people, just not God's kingdom. So how bad is this punishment? I'm mostly going to focus on this next week. And next week, I love next week's message already. I haven't written it, but I just, it's not about what I write, but it's, I love Genesis 3.15. I love Genesis 3.15. So we're going to look at the, the fight between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and how that runs through the entire story. The seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. It's this, it's, I love that part. But let's just look real quick at the banishment. What life looks like outside the garden, outside the kingdom. In Genesis 4, 4 through 11, those chapters, we get a picture. Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel. We read about a man named Lamech, Lamech, and he is known for anger and revenge. In chapter 5, it's all filled with death. This guy lived for so long, and he died. This guy lived for so long, and he died. This guy lived for so long, and he died. Everyone's going back to dust. Chapter 6, we read that God is sorry he has made man. Let us not think that though God is saying, oops, shouldn't have done that. We'll look at that more next week on God's purposes and all. But he says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now notice the redundancy. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Could you be any more redundant? Man is evil and sinful. Because of Adam and Eve, everyone is born sinful. You, I, every person other than Jesus Christ has been born sinful. So what does God do? He's going to bring a flood. He's going to cleanse the earth and wipe away the sin, right? So flood comes, flood goes away. Now we have Noah and a small little family of people. Obviously, we're good, right? No. Noah gets drunk, lies around naked. We have more problems. And eventually, it culminates in Genesis 11, where all of mankind, now remember the original mandate to man, multiply, fill the earth, that you would spread my kingdom. Original command in Genesis 1. Genesis 11 is like Genesis 3 all over again, multiplied even worse. So Genesis 1, fill the earth with my image. Okay, Genesis 11, all of mankind gathers in one place to build a tower to make their name great. The exact opposite of the commands of God. You could not be any more defiant against the word of God. Rather than spread across the world, we have man saying, no, we're going to gather in one place and we're going to build a tower that says how great we are. Everything is about man. So what we see is that man has ceased to worship God, but we worship ourselves and sin is running rampantly throughout the world. So we're left with these questions. Is there hope? Is mankind lost forever? Have we forever been banished from the kingdom? Can mankind ever make it back into the kingdom? Will we ever again experience the blessings of God? This is the story. This is the conflict. We're outside the kingdom, but we were supposed to be inside the kingdom. So this goes to hope. If we go back to chapter 3, there's two verses that really provide us hope. Verse 15 and verse 21. 15 is next week. We're just going to save all of that for next week. Um, but look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for man and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So because of sin, man has become full of shame, guilt, and fear. Now remember, Satan said, hey, you sin and you're going to have everything that you want. Does sin ever deliver? 
No. That's the problem with sin. It always fails to deliver on what it promises. It might look good for a little bit, and sin can be fun for a while. Ultimately, it always fails to deliver. So what does God do? He asks questions. He comes in mercy and grace, and he covers the nakedness with a blood sacrifice. God slaughters an animal to cover the pain, the guilt of Adam and Eve. And we might be tempted just to read past this verse and to kind of go on through it and not give it much thought, but that would be a grave mistake. Remember, high treason has been committed against the highest authority, the cosmic sovereign king. Rather than destroy and obliterate, he graciously mercifully and compassionately performs a sacrifice to cover their sins and to clothe them. If we know our Bibles, we know as we move into the Old Testament, there's actually going to be the sacrificial system. And eventually it all culminates when Jesus Christ comes and that he would be sacrificed on the cross so that we who believe in him, our sins would be covered. And we'd be clothed with what? His righteousness. So that way we become, once again, citizens of the kingdom of God. And we'll look at that more as we go. But let me read Romans 5.17. This is a great verse. For if because of one man's trespass, because of Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man, through Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man. So death comes from Adam, grace and righteousness and life come through Jesus. And it all comes because Jesus came to the cross to be a sacrifice that our sins would ultimately be covered and we'd be clothed not in the skins of an animal, but in the righteousness of the Son of God. What we have here is sin doesn't have the last word. Even in Genesis, while we see man is being removed, we see this grace, we see this compassion of the king. This is a king like no other. And I think it it tells us, whatever situation we're in, there's hope. I just want you to think about that. Whatever situation you're in right now, sometimes they don't appear very hopeful. Sometimes it just looks despairingly. And you just look at it and you say, there's no hope, there's only despair, there's, there's there's no hope of a good life. And Jesus is going, that's exactly what it looked like in Genesis 3. And then God came into the cool of the garden. And he asked questions. And he ultimately performs a sacrifice to show that one day he'll perform an even greater sacrifice because that's how he is. He loves. He's a loving king. And if you come to him in faith, he desires more than anything that you would know his son and that you'd be covered in his son's righteousness. Sin does not have the last word. So as we close, because of sin, man has disobeyed God. We no longer are a worshiper of God. We continue to worship, but now we worship ourselves. We're no longer in God's kingdom, therefore we try to establish our own kingdom. Next week, Genesis 3.15, we're going to look at the battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And we're going to see how God uses Satan and sin to accomplish his purposes. So that's where we're going to be going. Um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask questions, or answer questions. Um, Let's pray. Our Father, 
We thank you, God, for today. We thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are a holy God. Father, I thank you that even when we have rejected you and we have tried to build our kingdom, that you do not forget about us, but that in the, in the greatest act of love and grace and mercy, you send forth your son that we could become sons of you again. And that we could once again enter into your kingdom. And we could once again experience your rule and your blessings. And that we would forever be adopted into your family. God, may we know that. May we know that sin will not have the last word. God, thank you for being not just a king, but a good king. Thank you, God, for your word, your worship guide that you have given us that we would know you. God, help us to know you. Help us to love you. Help us to worship you. God, Fill us with strength and boldness of faith. God, we love you so much. In your name, Jesus, amen.